All right, Revelation 18. So this is the, really the final chapter talking about Babylon. Revelation 17 and 18 go together. And really excited about the next couple chapters. We are almost done with this great, amazing book. It's been an amazing study thus far. Uh, Lord willing, we'll be finished with everything by the end of June. So I'm not really sure where we're going next, but just focusing on that. And I'm trying again not to get ahead of myself because I've been preparing at least a week ahead at a time to kind of stay ahead with other things that I'm working on. Uh, so I'm really excited about next week's lesson as we're shifting view from earth back to heaven and we have the marriage supper of the Lamb. So that's uh, actually not next week, sorry, because we have a missionary, but it's the week after. So stay tuned for that. But Revelation 18, now before we jump into it tonight, uh, someone just tell me maybe something that you've learned from this series. I've done this maybe one or two times before. Hopefully you've learned something. So tell me something that you've learned from this series. Julie. What? When the world ends, it's scary. The world, when the world ends, it's scary. All right. What else? Violet. Um, that the, world is a bad place. the world is a bad place. You're right. What else? Anybody else? Go, Mike. You know, the pouring out of his wrath still has opportunities for people to Yeah. Even in the pouring out of God's wrath, he's still wanting people to be saved. It's uh, a great point. Jocelyn? Yeah, you don't get saved and we're here, all that's going to happen to us. What else? Anybody else? Yes, Jenna? What? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Good job. Anybody else? That's uh, Miss Mary's child right there. Why she did the face palm. Any adult, have you learned anything? Anything at all? Tasha? Share the gospel, yeah. That's good. That's good. Uh, honestly, for me as well, again, on first glance of this, this series, you know, you can get, dig so deep to where it's so confusing and then you're so scared out of your mind about all these events that are happening. But really, what we see is that, again, Jesus is the theme of this book and our hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's so much that, that God has taught me and I hope he has taught you something as well. Honestly, trying to get some of you guys to speak up is like pulling, you know, teeth uh, from a child or whatever. But I really hope that God has spoken to you through this series thus far. Uh, but before we really jump into it tonight, I want to give you a quick summary. And it's in your notes if you're taking notes tonight. Quick summary of chapter 17 and 18 because they go together. And it's kind of the downfall of Babylon, which Babylon, the great whore, talked about in Revelation 17. And really, this is the system of the world. And what we learn is that, first of all, it's... This, an attractive woman symbolizes worldly seduction. We talked about the seduction of the world, how the world is always trying to seduce us. And again, those of us that have children, we understand this well, that the world and the system of the world is trying their hardest to seduce our children. And it's not just our children, it's us as well, to seduce us to ungodliness and worldliness. Uh, the second thing here is that uh, this woman, she sits on a beast that symbolizes worldly persecution. These are things that we had discussed last week. Uh, the third thing is that the woman then is devoured by the beast. So now as the vision progresses, we see two particular actions take place. First at the end of chapter 17, uh, going back there, starting verse number 17, the Bible says, For God hath put in their heart to fulfill his will. And the amazing thing is that all of this, everything that takes place is under the sovereignty, the plan, the will of God. 
and to agree and give their kingdoms into the beasts and the world of God shall be filled and, and the woman which thou sawest in that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth and then what we see in chapter 18 is, is the demise, the downfall but God allows all of this to happen and then in chapter 18 what we're going to see tonight specifically is that the woman then disappears from the earth the system of the world is now gone and we are coming to the, the very end of the world and we're about to, to get into, again, chapter 19, we're going to shift scenes, we're going to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then we're going to come back to earth when we have the, the, the great battle of Armageddon, and, and then the, literally the end is, is here. Uh, but this, this woman, this, uh, this system, really, uh, as it was discussed in chapter 17, the whore, the harlot, in every age there has been a harlot, so to speak. And what I mean is there has been a system of evil that has persecuted the church, now, Babylon is often referred to as the system of the world. The world fell in love with this system that John identifies as the prostitute or whore. And the people of the world were glad to let her use them because they became drunk with the passion of her, of her sexual immorality. And she made people rich and provided them luxurious lifestyles. But with her death and demise, all was lost. But what we discover last week and tonight is that this system of the world, the worldly system, the desires, the idols, it's all a deceptive mirage. All of these sensual pleasures, the material possessions, this life of luxury and satisfaction were completely, suddenly, utterly destroyed. You see, sin is deceptive, is it not? Sin tries to deceive and, and tries to take hold of us and think that, and, and, and in a sense say that things aren't as bad as what they uh, appear to be, but sin... <laughs> It destroys, and it will destroy, and one day it will be destroyed, thank God. Now, security is not found in this world. Security is only found in Jesus Christ. And as we come to chapter 18, we see another vision from John. And after these things, verse number 1, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lighted with his glory. What we see in chapter 18 is four voices that John hears, from heaven, and there are four very important announcements. And the first announcement that we hear is this, the voice of condemnation. The voice of condemnation. You see, John hears this angel. This angel has been in close association with the light. And this light comes from God's presence, and he radiates with the glory of God. And what we learn in verses 1 and 2 is this, this worldly system is judged for its demonic nature. Verse number 2, and he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. Again, that repetition, uh, speaking for all the world to hear. And has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Now, the repetition adds emphasis and finality. And what we learn here is that commercial Babylon is a very corrupt commercial, social, political system that will be destroyed. But this proud and great city is now nothing more than the home for three things. And we learn these three things in verse number two. It's the home of demons now. That's the unclean spirits. It's the home of unclean birds and unclean beasts. You think about Babylon, the city, being a garden city. Now... She is nothing more than a desolate, demonic wasteland, completely devoid of God himself. 
Verse number three, we continue on. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Really, everyone in the world apart from Jesus Christ, apart from God, that have not given themselves to Him, have fallen prey to this. And the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. What we see in verse number three is this, the worldly system then will be judged for its idolatries. The worldly system will be judged for its idolatries. All nations having drunk of the wine of wrath for fornication, this talking about the sexual immorality, it's often a picture of spiritual adultery. You see, the judgment has come because the Babylonian system has polluted the whole world. The world system of religion, of economics, of politics, all oppose Jesus Christ. I think it's still ringing, guys. Just a little bit. Maybe it's this one up here too, I don't know. Let's try that. All right, so again, um, verse number three, talking about the worldly system is going to be judged for its idolatries. Let me read this verse again. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich. Again, people got rich based on, you know, it's like we've said before, that dog-eat-dog world. They're, they're, they're willing to just step over people. They're willing to sacrifice themselves for worldly pleasures through the abundance of her delicacies. But then we move on to verse number four and we hear the second voice that John hears. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins and that ye receive not of her plagues. So he's calling the Christians that are still alive to come out of this system. For her sins have reached unto heaven and God hath remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her, double according to her works. And the cup which she hath filled, fill her to her double. How much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I sit a queen and am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. The second voice that we see is the voice of separation. John showed us the voice of condemnation, now it's the voice of separation. You know, John hears this voice from heaven, and it's a call for all of God's people to come out to separate themselves from the world. Verse 4 and 5 teaches this, that the worldly system then will be judged for its sinfulness. The world is a sinful place, is it not? As it says, come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins. But how often, even today in, in the church age, do we see Christians partakers of the sins of the world? And really, yes, this is in times, but the application is still for us today. And really, I believe this is a call for the church to come out, to be separate. As a Christian, are we supposed to be like the world? Or are we supposed to be different from the world? We're supposed to be different from the world. But how often, and again, I've, I've preached on this, I've taught on this, how often are we just like the world? Too often. We, we have, in a sense, we have married ourselves to the world because of all that the world offers, we feel like that's what we need. But really this call, yes, at the end time, but the call for us today is come out. Don't partake of her sins. 
so that you don't receive the same plagues that she's going to receive. For her sins, verse 5, have reached up unto heaven. I mean, think about that, the picture that, that John is giving us here. And God hath remembered her iniquities. Now, think about everything. Now, it's hard to even imagine. This is talking about since the world first began. God remembers every sin that has been done against him. And all these sins have reached up into heaven. So one day God will destroy and judge this world. But you see, in every age, God's people have had to separate themselves from all that the world is and all that it opposes, meaning God. 2 Corinthians six seventeen, the Bible says, Wherefore, come out from among them and what? Be separate, saith the Lord. You see, God wants the church to be separate from the world, to be different by design, but again, too often we're too similar. By coming out and being separate from the world, God's people would be spared from his wrath, and God has seen her sins and is going to judge them. And again, I don't want to labor this thought, but I just want to encourage you, as your pastor, as a, as a friend, to separate yourselves from the world. Separate yourselves from the system. I know the system of the world is glamorous, it looks like that's what we need to go after. <laughs> but there is much destruction ahead, much desolation ahead for those that follow that system, that system of sinfulness. And those that follow that will be judged. Verse number six, we continue on. This worldly system then is also judged for its pride. Reward her even as she rewarded you. Double unto her, double according to her works, and the cup which she hath filled Fill her double. All of those involved are guilty and will suffer double judgment as the cup is filled twice for her for all that she has done to the saints and against the saints. And let me simplify this even more. You reap what you sow. And in the system of the world, the system that opposes Christ, it's going to reap double judgment for the evil and opposition that they have given towards Christ. And what's happened on this earth and in our society and our culture is so many people care more about possessions, more about pleasure, than they care about Christ. And, and what, what I've seen in this study and what I've seen as I've uh, looked really deeper at the world system and the culture that we live in, you know, the Bible says here that, you know, she hath glorified herself. It's talking about she's proud. It says she hath lived deliciously. That, that's talking about she's pursued self-gratification. Where it says in verse number seven, I, I sit a queen. That, that's saying she's boastful. But how many Christians are the same way? Glorifying ourselves. Living deliciously. Not saying you can't you know, have nice things. That's not what I'm saying at all. But so often we are pursuing self-gratification instead of pursuing Christ. And Christ alone. That should be our our first and foremost pursuit. If God gives you things and blesses you with things, then praise God for that. But make sure we're using the things that he has given us to then continue to, to give back and, and make really kingdom difference in the world. But the world is living for their own self. And I've seen too many Christians or quote-unquote Christians that are doing the same thing, that are living for their own self, their own self-gratification. What can I get out of this world? That's a wrong mentality. That's a wrong attitude to have. And, 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 and I've tried to warn people through, through my years as a youth pastor and, and as a pastor now, I've tried to warn people, but it's tough to see people disregard that advice. Any parent that has ever given advice to your kid and you know that this advice is going to help them, and when you see them disregard it, it breaks your heart, doesn't it? 
Same is true for me. It, dis, it, it breaks my heart when I see people that have disregarded the advice that I've given them or my wife or others have given them and are continuing to, to be proud and puffed up and pursue self-gratification and be boastful of who they are and what they have. Well, God can take that away from you in a moment. I like what Osborne says on this. He says, one does not have to read many magazines or watch many movies to realize the extent to which sinners today guzzle the wine of passion for immorality. One must realize that divine judgment is not too far away. Those who willingly participate in such immorality will also participate in the judgment to come. Those who live for greed and luxury will also face an angry God for seeking only the treasures of earth while ignoring the treasures of heaven. Jesus warned them well, and this includes materialistic Christians. What sorrow await you who are rich? For you only have happiness now. It talks about that in Luke chapter 6. But Babylon's destruction will not be progressive, but instant in this moment. She'll be instantly destroyed. Her doom is certain and cannot be avoided. We move on to verse number 9. Verse 9 through 19, more of a lengthy portion. We hear the third voice, and this is the voice of lamentation. And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously, that self-gratification with her, shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off, uh, the fear of torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that, that mighty city for in one hour is thy judgment come. The next several verses describe the mourning that is going to take place to the merchants as well as uh, others that are in this system. And what we see in verses 9 and 10 is this, that rulers will weep over her sudden judgment. Rulers will weep over her sudden judgment. You see, what they live for will suddenly be taken away from them. And just imagine that. Imagine if you lived for wealth and materialism and all that kind of stuff. In a moment, everything is gone. I mean, everything. It's not like, well, I lost a little bit. No, I lost everything. I mean, think about the Great Depression where some people overnight lost everything that they had. All they had was the clothes on their back or whatever they had in their house. In a sense, it's going to be that times 10, I mean, times 100. You know, the stock market that led to the Great Depression in the 1920s, this is not even comparison because this is a worldwide collapse. And it's going to affect all people. And this judgment is going to happen rapidly, this Babylonian collapse. You know, today with the complex connections that exist between governments and businesses and with the interrelated computer systems, it's not going to take long for Babylon to collapse. And that's exactly what's going to happen here. And what we see is that the rulers are going to meet, weep over her sudden judgment. Verse 11 through 17, merchants will mourn for their loss. Now think about the economic collapse and the chaos that will ensue. All the markets will tank and bottom out. Now, stuff is going to be available, but no one's going to have any resources to buy it. All the merchants of the world, all they can do is weep. Look at verse number 11. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. Imagine if you have a shop, and all of a sudden, no one's going to come in. I mean, you're having business exploding day after day after day, and then all of a sudden, like, nothing because no one can buy anything. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and of fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet, all these 
of fine wood and all the manner of vessels of ivory and the manner of vessels of most precious wood and of brass and of iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and, and uh, beasts and sheep and horses and uh, chariots and slaves and the souls of men and the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee and all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee. Now, again, sometimes we get confused in the, in the reading of Revelation. Remember all the events that have transpired, all of the judgments that have taken place. I mean, everything has just been wiped out. You think about the water supply, the, the fresh water, the salt water, uh, all of the sea. It's not just something that's, you know, all of a sudden it, it just happened. I mean, it's, it's been coming on those last three and a half years of the tribulation. And the world, as we know it, it's a barren of desolateness. There is nothing left. Verse 15, the merchants of these things, which were made rich by her, shall stand afar off for the fear of the torment, weeping and wailing. And saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stone and pearls, for in one hour so great riches has come to naught. And every shipmaster and the company and the ships and sailors and as many as the trade by the sea stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust on their heads. And we'll get to that in a minute. And cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein we were made rich, all that had ships in the sea by the reason of her costliness. For in one hour she made desolate. It continues to speak of that one hour. Now, verses 12 through 13, really, uh, we, we listed those quickly, but they list 29 items of value and wealth. It falls into seven different categories. The precious metals and stones, the fabrics for expensive clothing, the, the or ornaments, the decorations, the wood, brass, iron, marble, fragrance, fragrances, uh, foods, uh, you know, wine, oils, flour, grain, animals, uh, humans, talks about slaves. The souls of men is one of the more interesting things. You see, in the days of the old Roman Empire, they sold people as you would animals. So perhaps what is meant here is that they thought no more about selling a person than they did about selling a pair of shoes. In verse 14, we see that the fruits that they the soul lusted after it departed. All the merchandise that was available before is now gone and will never be available again. The commercial system is completely shut down and the reality is about to be made manifest. Verses 15 and 16, the merchants here, uh, we see such great fear from these merchants who used to sell their merchandise at outrageous prices and high taxes and this and that, but there is nothing Verses 17 through 19, what we see is that shipping then will grieve over her destruction. In one hour, we see that phrase continued over and over two or three times in this passage. One hour, she is made desolate. It's a brief period of time. People that have prospered for a long time under the short rule of the beast, now everything is gone. You know, one pastor said, if you love this world, it'll pass away and it will take you with it. You will not only lose your true pleasure, you will lose your life. You will perish with this world because it's going to happen. The world will pass away. But as we learn in, in, in scriptures, God's word and really God endures forever. Now the casting on dust of dust on their heads, as we alluded to a minute ago, uh, this is an ancient expression of grief. So they are throwing dust on their heads. They are grieving because everything that they have Everything they hold dear through all the judgments that we have referred to thus far, it's all been taken away from them. 
It's no more. They sold themselves to the system of the world. They sold themselves to the beast, to the false prophet, to the great dragon, and now it's all gone. And then finally, we see this fourth voice, the voice of celebration. It's interesting because why would you rejoice? Well, it's not the world, it's the saints. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her for centuries. Christians have been calling out to God to avenge because of the world tearing down the church, tearing down Christianity. And finally, all the blood of the saints of the past have been avenged. Verse number 21, And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. Adrian Rogers used to say, we become like what we worship. True worship will make us more like God. But the reality is, a lot of times we are not worshiping God. We're worshiping other things. We're worshiping self. We're worshiping pleasure. And for centuries, the world has been worshiping pleasure. Pride themselves. Christians have been worshiping themselves. Pride, pleasure, other things. And we become what we worship. And honestly, if I were to spend a considerable amount of time with, with any of you in this room, I could tell what's valuable to you. Again, just because we come to church and worship God and sing songs like Waymaker and Goodness of God doesn't mean we truly have a heart of worship. For many, our heart is deceitful. Our heart is desperately wicked. We, are, we could care less about God being the Waymaker. We can care less about a missionary and, oh man, sales being saved, yeah, who cares? Like, can we just get through this? It speaks volumes of what's in our heart. In Revelation 19 or 18, this goes back to Revelation chapter 6, finally, the prayer has been answered. And the rejoicing here is not over the eternal and the spiritual death of lost souls, but over the justice and righteousness of God's judgment. And note the, the, the repeated refrain, refrain, no more. As it says in verse number uh, 21, and a mighty angel took uh, up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, thus with violence shall that great city of Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. It's pretty clear. Jeremiah used a similar approach when he warned Judah of the nation's coming judgment at the hand of the Babylonians. And the finality of this destruction is shown by a six-fold repetition of the phrase, no more at all. In Greek, the refrain is the emphatic double negative, never, never again. And what we learn in these last couple of verses, verse 21, first of all, is that there will be no more record of her. As this giant millstone is cast into the sea, the stone that is cast into the sea depicts the violence, the permanence of the destruction. The Babylonian system began in Genesis 11 and has continued uninterrupted in one form or another to the present day. And one day, at this day, it will suddenly sink, never to return. Verse 22, there will be no rejoicing over her. And the voice of harpers and musicians and of pipers and of trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. In our world, we love music, and I, and I love music, but 
There's no, no more music. There's nothing to rejoice over. No craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in thee. There is no rejoicing. Music ceases, song and dance stop because there's nothing for earth dwellers to celebrate. Verse 22 continues, there is no more rebuilding of her. Both music and manufacturing and work and weddings will come to a violent end. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. Industry is at a standstill. You know, this will be unlike anything the world's ever seen. And more bailouts from the government when this takes place. Verse 23, And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. The next thing we see is that there will be no recovery for her. There will be no respect for her. For thy merchants were great men of the earth, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived, and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and all that were slain upon the earth. Verse 24 teaches us that there is no redemption of her. It talked about weddings and the bride and the bridegroom. You know, weddings are a thing of the past. You know, the merry sound of bridal festivities have been silenced forever. And these verses, these final verses, verse 21 through 24, give us some very specific detail for that. It's really her arrogance, her deception of the nations, and her persecution and martyrdom of God's people. You see, all nations have been deceived by her source, sorcery. It talked about that in verse number, um, where's that at? Uh, verse number 23. Now, sorcery comes from the word pharmakia, in which we get our English word pharmacy and pharmaceuticals. But the word in the New Testament is referring to magic and the occult. That is alive and well today, is it not? But all of that is found no more. And the final application that we see here is that as we close out this chapter, I want you to go back to Revelation chapter 16. Go back to Revelation chapter 16, the very end. Verse number 17. Revelation 16, verse number 17. The seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake such as was not since when men were upon earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away. So Revelation 18 is just describing what happened back in chapter 16 when the seventh vial was poured out. Every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven. Every stone about the weight of a talent. We talked about this. This is over 100 to 125 pound hail falling from heaven. There's no escaping that. And men still blaspheme God because of the plagues of hail. For the plague thereof was exceeding great. I can't even imagine that. You know, it's one of the, one of the worst plagues out of all the 21 because it just destroys everything. And yet still, people are still blaspheming God, cursing his name. And what we see as we close out, this, this core truth, and then I'll close, you know, as God destroys the sin and the wickedness of the world that marks this world, 
those who have loved the world will experience bitter disappointment and divided judgment. As God destroys the sin and wickedness that marks this world, those who have loved the world will experience bitter disappointment and divided judgment. You see, the system is gone. It's over. And again, specifically, this is referring to the evil that is in the world. But the application for us today, same as that was John said earlier, verse number four, come out from her. Separate yourself. Church, Christian, child of God, one that has a new identity, separate yourself from the world. Be different. Why do we try so hard to fit in when God has called us to stand out? I don't want you to answer it out loud, but I want you to think about that. And that's really what I want to close you with. Why, why do we try so hard to fit in when God has called us to stand out? When God has told us to separate ourselves. And look, this is something that I struggle with sometimes because I, I, I want to be liked, right? We want to be liked. We want to be popular and we want to have nice things. So instead of doing what God calls us to do, we, we fit in instead of standing out. But judgment is still going to come on us if we fall prey to this. And what I want as a pastor more than anything and for our church is a church of saints that have completely separated themselves unto God and from the world. Doesn't mean you can't enjoy the life that God has given you. No, doesn't mean that at all. Doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that you can't you know have fun and you know do vacations and and you know enjoy uh, pleasures. But too often there's a fine line, right? And what we do is we cross that line, and we're too focused and too concerned with the worldly pleasures than we are with things that are eternal. We're too focused on the temporal, right, instead of the eternal, because one day this world is going to pass away. It's going to be gone. Our life is but for a moment. I mean, James tells us that, that our life is just what? Just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanisheth away. And in the, and in the as some would describe, in the dash of our life, you think about a, a tombstone, you know, it marks the, the birth year and then the death year and the dash of your life. What, what are you doing for God? What are you doing that matters? You know, I want more than anything, I, I want our church to grow. I want our school to grow. I want Christians to grow in grace and, and understanding of the gospel and their identity. And again, going back to Sunday, if we understand that we've been activated, that means we have to be doing something, right? We have to be busy about the gospel. We have to be busy about warning people of this impending judgment, this impending doom that is coming them coming to them. And again, this is just as much for me. It's not about living for the world. It's not about living for the pleasures of this world. It's about living for Christ. That's what matters. That's what's going to make a difference in eternity. In chapter 19, as we get there in a couple weeks, we see great rejoicing. I just want to read the first verse. But and after these things, after all that has taken place, John, he hears a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, or Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. You know, that, that phrase, that Hallelujah, or Hallelujah, is taken from really two words 
in the Greek, and it's really basically literally means to praise God. To praise God for all that he is and all that he has done. And what we will see here in a couple weeks is that this song, this worship, this praise in heaven, uh, this, I mean, really this hallelujah chorus in heaven as Christians are gathered around the throne and finally it's, it's finished. But really, in reality, this should be the song of the church today, right? Hallelujah. Praise God for all that he is, for all that he has done. And one thing that I'll get to is that, you know, praise and worship, they are similar, but they're still different. You know, worship, a lot of times, you can worship quietly in your heart. But praise is not silent. It's not meant to be silent. It's meant to be loud. I mean, I don't know how many times the psalmist talks about praising God with our lips. It's coming forth from our lips. But again, it's like pulling teeth to get some Christians even praise God at all for anything. And it's more than just the songs we sing. It's, it's even the messages and, and, and the lessons and, and, and everything in between. Again, praise God for all he has done. You know, it shouldn't just be like, let's, let's manufacture a praise and worship service. Let's manufacture a time where we can truly praise God and have a time of testimony. It should come forth out of our lips. So if it's not coming forth out of our lips, what, what is wrong with us? What is wrong with me if God's praise is not coming forth from my lips for all that he has done for me? Again, it's so easy to complain, isn't it? It's so easy to be disgruntled and murmur and, and uh, you know, just agitated at all of the things of this world, but forget about those things and focus on Christ and focus on what's truly important and praise God for that. When we truly remember what, or when we truly stop and, and remember God's goodness, we just think about that, that God has been good all the time. He's always been good, but again, we have this Eeyore mentality, right? Where woe is me, everything is bad and my life is just not the way I intended it to be. Well, God's still giving you breath to breathe. So he's still giving you life. So praise God for that and do something with it. Again, why can't we, and it's not just, it's, it's, it's all of us. Why, why can't we get that? Why can't we understand the fact that God has placed us here for his purpose, for his glory, to do something with it? I mean, honestly, completely off track, but sometimes I, I just feel like, is anything ever I say getting through to anyone? Is it even getting through to me sometimes? And I, I'm not saying this because I want to manufacture something in here. I want it to just flow out of us. And if it's not flowing out of us, it's probably because it's not flowing in us. I'm not saying that we're not saved, but... We're not spending proper time with God. You can't just expect to come to church once or twice a week and get everything you need, and that's it. You have to have the personal relationship with God. You have to have a personal walk with God. And again, we're too enamored by the world, too enamored by the things of this world, instead of being focused on Christ and his mission for us. Instead of living on mission, we are living off mission. We are living for this world. So what's more important? This world that is going to be destroyed, or living for God, when, yeah, there's going to be suffering and persecution that's going to come with it, but the reward is, wow, I mean, you can't even describe the reward that's coming. Because one day the evil will be judged, and all of heaven 
saints of old, the saints that made it through the tribulation will all sing hallelujah. Praise God, salvation, glory, honor, power be unto him. Why? Because he's true, he's righteous. For he hath judged that great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Let's pray.